0: Hi, Swamp. First of all, I'd just like to say a huge thank you for reading my email. I didn't imagine for a second that you'd actually read it on your channel, and I'm forever in your debt for giving Jake's case that much more exposure. But as you can imagine, it was also quite bittersweet, and although I appreciate all the kind words from your viewers, it only reminds me that there's so much more to be done in search for the truth. Secondly, I want to apologize for taking so long to get this follow-up over to you. It's been difficult to type up, even harder than the first email, especially in light of more recent discoveries. And thirdly, I feel like there are a few issues that commenters raise that are definitely worth addressing. Probably the most important is the fact that Jake's disappearance bears a remarkable resemblance to that of the six-year-old Dennis Martin, who disappeared in the Great Smoky Mountains during June of 1969. Believe me when I say that I find the many similarities to be nothing short of chilling, And I still believe there is a link between the two disappearances, no matter how small it may be. What's more, given the young Dennis' disappearance, it's been connected to many others that have occurred in the US national parks. It's entirely possible that Jake is a part of a wider network as well. In fact, that's the main theory I've been working on for quite some time now. You see, for those who don't know, I actually sent my original email over to Swamp in the fall of 2018. And since then, I've had plenty of time to gather additional information that was not included in my original email. But instead of finding answers that provided any sense of comfort or closure, what I discovered had some pretty terrifying implications. The first involves the park ranger that seemed to drop off the face of the earth after I talked to him. If you remember, I asked a ranger named Mike Garza to investigate a previously undiscovered cave system in hills surrounding Big Bear Lake. He said he'd get back to me as soon as he could, but not only did I never hear from him again, he quit the National Park Service, leaving no contact details behind for me to get in touch with him. Right about the time we left off, so probably October of 2018, I had a big hunch that Mike's bizarre and sudden departure from the Park Service was somehow connected to my brother's disappearance. Luckily, park rangers both past and present were only too happy to assist me once they learned who I was and what I was trying to do. It took me a while to find someone who had gotten to know Mike personally whilst working with him, but again, they were only too happy to talk to me. I discovered that Mike had talked about having a brother in a little town called Maxwell up in Northern California. I didn't have a number or an address for him, but since Maxwell was a small farming community, I figured at least someone up there would know a guy named Garza, like I mentioned, I currently live in Eugene, Oregon, so I had to wait until the weekend to make the six-hour drive down to NorCal. When I rolled into Maxwell, it looked almost exactly like I imagined it. It was a farming land for sure, flat as a pancake for miles in every direction. Having grown up living around hills and mountains all my life, being somewhere with so much sky gave this weird kind of vulnerable feeling. One which was vindicated when I later learned that Maxwell is subject to some pretty hardcore flooding each year. After I cruised through the town for a couple of blocks, I spotted what appeared to be a local bar. It was a hole-in-the-wall saloon-type place called the Foxhole, and I figured it would be as good a place as any to start coaxing information from the locals. Having only just opened in the previous half hour, The foxhole wasn't exactly at peak trading hours, but the bartender was friendly enough for me to engage in a little light conversation as I nursed a glass bottle of coke. When he seemed happy enough with my story that I was just passing through on my way to Sacramento, I casually dropped Mike Garza's name into the exchange. I told him that Mike was an old high school buddy, and that I heard that he had a brother out near Maxwell. I honestly expected the bartender to shrug it off. Mike's brother might have never even visited the foxhole. That's even if he still lived here at all. But as soon as the name Garza left my lips, it was like the guy just glitched on the spot. He stopped wiping down the bar top, but just carried on staring at it like it would magically start drying itself or something. That's the moment I knew I had something. I just had no idea how big it would be. The bartender asked me again how I know Mike, and I repeated the lie that we were high school friends. Only, I didn't have to feign my surprise at what he told me next. He said that, although he hated having to be the bearer of bad news, Mike Garza had passed away just over a year ago. What hit me next was a mix of sadness, disappointment, and shame. Sadness for Mike Garza and his family, disappointment that I'd driven all the way down to Maxwell for nothing, and shame that I seemed to view the man as nothing more than an asset just a means to an end. I'd go back to Eugene empty-handed, but Mike? Mike had lost everything. I could have just left it right there, thanked the guy, walked out the foxhole, and my story would have ended there. But I didn't. I asked how Mike died, and the answer the bartender gave me changed absolutely everything. In the moments after I asked... The bartender kind of shuffled awkwardly before shooting the bar flies a look, like he was silently seeking their permission to reveal some deep, personal secret. And in a way, I suppose he was. The whole time his speech was just start, stop, start, stop. Like the words just wouldn't come out. But over the course of a minute or so, the bartender tells me that Mike had taken his own life. I was just stunned. The situation had taken an even darker turn than it already had. And on top of that... The bartender then added how it was complicated, and that Gabe, that's Mike's brother, has a lot to say about it. He then cut himself off like he was talking out of turn. I didn't press him. My heart was pounding in my chest with my brain screaming out, find his freaking brother, ask him where his brother is. But I just had this feeling like, I don't know, it's hard to describe, almost like a predator or something. Like I've been stalking some deer for hours and I'm so, so close to catching it. Only one wrong move and it's gone forever. I knew I had to be patient. I was so close to finding something. I just had to play dumb and non-threatening for a little while longer. It was obviously a sensitive situation and no one would be talking unless they actually wanted to. I was playing a kind of game. I get that. Stirring up bad memories for selfish reasons and I admit that the next thing I did was designed to win over the bar's occupants just a little bit more. But at the same time, I did a pang of grief for a man I barely knew, when I bought everyone around and we raised our glasses to Mike Garza. Over the next hour or so, I managed to glean that Mike's brother Gabe Garza worked as a mechanic around town, at least when he wasn't sleeping off a drinking escapade. He spent most evenings in the foxhole, propping up the bar just feet away from where I was sat. And if I came back later that night, there was a good chance I'd be able to talk to him myself. That's if I got there before he sank to the bottom of a bottle. The bartender was nice enough to take my cell phone number, telling me he'd call me if Mike's brother showed up. After all, he was under the impression that all I wanted to do was give Gabe Garza my condolences, not go digging around where I arguably didn't belong. I had to drive about 15 minutes south to a place called Williams, where there was a Motel 6 that I could check into, just in case I had to stay overnight. And after getting some shockingly good tacos from a small truck on E Street, it was where I waited for the bartender's call. It was not until around 9.30pm that the bartender called, telling me that Gabe just rolled into the bar. I grabbed my keys, ran out to my car, and may or may not have broken the speed limit until I got to the foxhole. When I walked inside, the place was barely any livelier than it had been a few hours previous, only I noticed the distinct addition of a large man, with black hair and a blue hoodie, propped up on a bar stool just where I was told he'd be. I walked up, and the bartender introduces me as a high school friend of Mike's, to a 40-something Latino guy, with these tired, sad eyes. I tried my best to gloss over exactly how me and Mike knew each other, instead focusing on paying my respects to a grieving brother. At first, he just thanked me, shaking my hand and accepting my offer to buy him a beer. I sat down with him and told him how shocked and saddened I'd been to hear the news, and he continued to show appreciation for the sentiment. But then, after a few beers, I told him that Mike didn't strike me as a kind of guy to kill himself. Because he didn't, came Gabe's response. It was so quick and so matter-of-fact that I almost spat my beer out all over the bar top. I asked him what he meant by that, and he replied with something like, Exactly what I goddamn said, Mike didn't kill himself, he was murdered. I'd swear my jaw just about hit the floor at that point. The same guy I'd asked to look for the caves had quit his job and taken his own life within a year. Just what the hell was going on here? Then, totally unprompted, Gabe started talking about the local paper, and how the cops and the coroner had all conspired to make this look like a suicide. According to him... The first medical examiner's report came back saying that Mike had been murdered, since a handful of the 26 stab wounds he'd received were so deep into his shoulder and neck that they simply could not have been inflicted by himself. Yet shortly afterward, this medical examiner was fired, and all of his recent reports had to be corroborated by incoming personnel. The new medical examiner then re-examines Mike's body, and declares that since the stab wounds had been inflicted with Knife's own penknife and that, since Mike was apparently suffering from depression around the same time, that it had to be a suicide. Gabe is telling me all of this at a mile a minute. It was the first time I'd seen him look awake or animated all night. But once he gets into such a frenzy, that the bartender catches on to what he's talking about, and comes over, saying, Not this again, Gabe. Don't do this. Don't do this to yourself. As he and the bartender begin to argue amongst themselves, What struck me as interesting was that this was obviously something that Gabe had talked about a lot over the previous year, to the point that it had started to sound almost like a conspiracy theory to those who had heard the story a hundred times. Only, it wasn't like he was talking about flat earth theories or goddamn lizard people or something. It sounded like he had a legit complaint involving some kind of incompetency with the medical examiner. It was the kind of thing that the LA Times reporters would normally be all over like a rash. But as gabe said himself nobody wanted to listen nobody wanted to know by about midnight i was exhausted and gabe was toast my conversation would be better conducted in the light of day with sober minds so i swapped cell phone numbers with him told him i'd be in touch about mike's death then drove back to the motel six and williams to get some sleep i'll never forget the nightmare i had in that motel bed i don't know if it was the beer i had I hardly touch a drop these days, or all the stress of discovering Mike's death, but I had a dream where I couldn't scream because my mouth was covered in duct tape, and someone held my fingers around the grip of a handgun before putting it to my head and pulling the trigger. Naturally, I felt like crap the next morning as I grabbed a coffee from a nearby Starbucks and began my journey northward back to Oregon. But on my way, I decided to roll through Maxwell one last time. I had a feeling I'd be back for a face-to-face with Gabe Garza at some point, but before I left, I figured I'd stop by Maxwell Cemetery and pay my respects to Mike. Like I mentioned, I felt like I was using him for my own personal gain, and I didn't didn't really want that weighing on my mind. Having known exactly what it's like to lose a sibling before their time, the whole thing just didn't sit right with me. It took me a while to find the right plot, but I did eventually, and I stood there for a few moments with my head bowed, wondering if there was a slim chance that Mike's death might somehow be down to me. Then as I'm driving back to Oregon, when I just possibly can't think things get any weirder, I have a rather frightening encounter with a black Ford F-150. It appeared behind me about 20 miles or so from the state line, and I took no notice of the thing until it grew larger and larger in my rear view. I figured they'd just go around, but after a minute or so of tailing me when I'm making these go-round gestures, I realize they're not going anywhere. This jet-black truck with a tinted windshield, which I'm almost certain is illegal in California, tails me right into Oregon State lines, and at one point it was so close to my rear bumper that I had to put my foot down and give the guy a warning honk. The message was clear but I wasn't about to let this guy run me off the road, and thankfully he backed off before there was a major accident. I appreciate that the encounter might have been nothing but a dumb coincidence, that I just so happened to irritate some neurotic gas guzzler, but I'm telling you, I knew it had something to do with me talking to Gabe Garza. I can't prove it. I just... I just feel it, and I know that sounds crazy, but given enough time, I think I can prove it. I ended up taping an actual sit-down between Gabe and myself, and I'll get to work writing and getting transcripts sent over to you, so you can see what he has to say about Mike's suicide. I can promise you, they're very, very interesting. But this is long enough already, and I don't want to drown you in a wall of text, or make your listeners wait any longer for an update. Again, I really can't thank you guys enough for helping me bring more attention to Jake's case, and I'll be in touch soon with my next update. And to all those going through similar situations, to all those searching for a missing loved one, don't give up. Although the truth might seem scary, we owe it to the ones we've lost to bring their fate to light. And if I can find out what happened to my little brother, maybe, just maybe, I'll be able to find out who or what took him from me.